You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have them, uh, get on your, uh, your iPhone or your iPad and uh, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. We're continuing in our series, the I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And what we've been saying is, hey, you want to know who Jesus is? You want to know what he believed about himself and how you ought to respond to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? It's in these seven statements um, that we've been looking at in this series. And so we've looked at, I am the light. We've looked at, I am, I am the door. I am the bread. This week, we are looking at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And most of these are phrases you've probably heard before and uh, often just kind of thrown out, maybe quoted. And so we're dry, diving in just a little bit deeper to see what Jesus is saying, uh, what the truth is about who he is, and how then we ought to respond. So out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through to 7. The word of God to us this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way, sorry, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do or you have know, known him and have seen him. Jesus, I pray you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to what you would want to say to us this morning. I believe your, your statement here is a, is a sort of compass for us. It is a, a rope that throw, it throws us life in very, the very choppy waters of our emotional and spiritual uh, state these days. And so I pray as, as, you, as you toss us a rope, we would grasp very firmly and we would follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. How many here are pessimists? Put your hand up. Only halfway, though. You're pessimists? Okay, how many are optimists? Okay. And how many pessimists are married to optimists? And the important question, how do you think that's going to work out? That's a trick question. Trick question. It's going to work out well? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you... The difference between pessimists and optimists is how they see the world. Basically, do we think things are going to get worse or do we think things are going to get better? So, for instance, the optimist sees a light at the end of the tunnel. Do we have that? Optimist sees a light at the end of the tunnel and says there's light at the end of the tunnel. Pessimist says it's probably a train and it's going to kill us. <laughs> when an optimist loses feeling on, on her left side, she says, I'm all right. Thanks. I'm all right. People, hey, hey, I've been getting emails because I haven't been throwing out some bad jokes. That's for all of you. You're welcome. 
The pessimist says, the glass is half empty. Thanks, Mark. I heard that. Uh, the glass is half empty. The, the optimist says, the glass is half full. Your social media feed says, click this. You won't believe what's in this glass. Oh, I thought that was funnier, but that's all right. <laughs> now, if you're not sure whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, I invite you to read what this says. Next one. Opportunity is nowhere. Opportunity is now here. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not real, guys. It's not like social media. Find out which, find out which Avenger you are and how it affects your marriage. That's not, that's not what it is. <laughs> uh, Jesus' disciples had, had a lot of reason to be pessimistic. They had a lot of reason, as, as we enter into chapter 14, they had a lot of reason to be pessimistic. Jesus has been hinting throughout the gospel, and they seem to be honing in a bit more on it, getting a little bit more frightened, that, that Jesus is going to, to, to suffer and going to die. Um, the, the, the Romans and the, the Jewish authorities are kind of honing in. In chapter 13, just prior to what we read, uh, we've just found out that Judas, who's been a part of the party for the last three years, is taken off. He's betrayed Jesus. Jesus made it clear that Peter is about to deny Jesus three times. The, uh, imagine the outlook of the group at the point as we step into chapter 14. It's a little glass is half empty, you would, you would think. I mean, the week started so well. The week started with coming into Jerusalem. Everyone's worshiping Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's like, all right, this is going to be easy. Just straight to the throne in Jerusalem. It's going to be super simple. But everything is kind of turned. To which, you know, as, as they're all saying, things can't get worse. The optimist would say, sure they can. Tough corral. Seeing, uh, seeing the hearts of his, of his friends, knowing what these next days would look like, knowing what the next weeks would look like, knowing what it would look like as we get into, and get into Acts in the fall, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, knowing full well that many, all, would face death for following Jesus. Knowing full well what you and I walk through each day, knowing the challenges that you and I walk through each day. Jesus says these words. In a world that will offer many escapes, that will offer many paths to whatever's got us down, that will offer many truths, how do we walk in a way that brings life when things around us seem so chaotic? A, a way that will bring purpose and meaning, regardless of, of what comes these next days for his disciples and for you and I this week. Regardless of what comes at you, regardless of what is said about me, Jesus says, I will come back. What a statement. I will, where I'm going, but don't worry, I'm I am going, but I will come back. So in verse 3, he says, I will come back, and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And, and, am. and so Jesus offers kind of several angles here for which the disciples and you and I are to interpret their current situation, the, the events in their lives. And in some ways, Jesus is answering the question that every generation, that every culture, that every religion is trying to answer. What is the right way to live? What is truth? And what is a good life? How do we even define that? Every philosopher throughout history is trying to answer the question that Jesus answers in this text. And I'll tell you, the further philosophy, the further ideology drifts away from Jesus, the harder it is to find a good answer. And the more frustrated and peace less and truth less we are. 
We get to philosophers like modern philosophers like Rivka Weinberg. So she's a philosophy professor in California. This is in her article that's called Ultimate Meaning. We don't have it, we can't get it, and we should be very, very sad. Like, invite her to the party. She says this. She says, there's nothing external to your life to serve as the point of leading and living it because your life includes your whole life. There was a curse there. Human life includes its entirety, leaving nowhere for us to reach for a valued end to serve as a point for leading and living it. There's nothing outside of you that can bring meaning to your life. This is the doomed endpoint of atheistic philosophy. There, it does not bring life. Remove God and you have lost the point. You have lost meaning. You have lost hope and you are doomed to pessimism. Pessimism. The lack of hope crushes, causes us almost to, to fall under the weight. So it's not surprising that Weinberg also wrote a book called The Risk of a Lifetime, How, When, and Why Procreation May Be Permissible. So the world is so sad and so dark, only under cer certain circumstances should people ever have children. Tell me that doesn't smell of pessimism. She goes on to say this. We have the next one there. She says, we come to realize that living and leading a human life is pointless. It has nowhere outside of its efforts or enterprise to reach for a point or valued end. We are lost and there is no hope, she says. And that angst is palpable, not just in her writing, but in the world. Don't you feel like it as you scroll? <laughs> it cries out for meaning from outside of itself, but it can't find it. And so we're, we're left with a secular culture that writes God out, that writes anything outside of itself out, and it says, don't worry, you're liberated from religion, and also you're alone in the universe. There's no path, there's no point, so make the best of it. And so we have a world trying to make the best of it. And in the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? <laughs> Jesus' words are a response to that kind of thinking. The good news of the gospel is, is something out, that something outside of us has reached in to give us identity and hope and meaning. And it gives meaning to everything it touches. The gospel gives meaning to everything it touches. It even gives meaning to suffering. Jesus is saying that eternity, truth, life has reached from the outside in. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. What, that, that, uh, that word there where it says, um, do not let your hearts be troubled. It literally means don't let your heart shudder. Don't let your heart fibrillate. Don't let it panic. Don't let it do that. Believe in me. Why? Because I'm the way. I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. Can't be found in you. It can only be found outside of you, but don't worry, it's stepped in. He says, believe in me so that you'll belong to me so that you will be with me. So first he says, believe. You want to calm your heart in a glass is half empty world? Believe in me. She's just a, he's just agreeing. It's no problem. He says, believe in me. And who, I, who am I? I am one with the Father. This is the news of the New Testament. I am one with the Father. Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus makes it very plain. I and the Father are one. And just after the text that we read in John 14, 9, Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Scripture makes it very clear. 
So when we have uh, modern critics of scripture who say Jesus never made a claim like that, this is something that evolved as the church grew. No, no, no. Jesus made it very clear who he thought he was. He made, it, he made very clear uh, divine claims. That's why all the religious people of his day picked up rocks to stone him. And that used to mean something very different than it means now. Guys, you want to understand God's heart for you? You want to understand what makes God upset and makes him happy, which makes him weep, and what makes him laugh? We look at the person of Jesus Christ. Much of the the sentiment that John captures here in, in chapter 14 is also captured in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What, whatever path we're going to have to run. And we do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus, believing in Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Because for the joy that's set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its, its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Or God, consider him, put your mind on him, believe in him, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Your heart will not shudder as you focus and believe in Jesus. Look at Jesus. That is where there is meaning. That's where there's purpose. That's where life is found. And the way that we endure and not grow weary is by placing our weight on Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it, often in our heads, when we hear the word believe, we kind of put in that category with trust and faith. And it's kind of this out there kind of thing. Do I have faith today? Don't I believe? Do I believe today? I don't believe today. The biblical language is far more concrete than what you and I are used to. We're more about kind of how you're feeling in the moment. Uh, the Hebrew language, the Greek language, biblical language uh, is, is not so much about how you feel. It's about how you act. Are you, are, is your life animated belief in God? Is it practice? What have you trusted Jesus with this week? I, I, I challenge you. You want to you wanna live out your belief? Find something this week that's coming up that you've, you've just been so worried about and practically give it to Jesus. Don't spend your time on it. Don't spend your time researching it. Give it to Jesus. Now, don't be stupid. <laughs> There's things we've got to plan out. But many of us walk with so much more that we simply need to place over to the providence of God. Actively trust, believe Jesus for something this week. Jesus says, do you want to stop your heart from shuddering, from fibrillating? Believe in me. Trust in me. Believe in me so that you will belong to me, so that you will be with me. Believing leads to belonging. The more we, we give ourselves over to something, the more we belong to it. We, we become like those things that we trust in and that we believe in. We, we become more like the community that we hang out with. We, we eat bad food consistently, the more our body will take on the characteristics of a bad diet. The more, uh, the, the more bad air we breathe consistently, we will develop breathing problems. We, we, we respond, our lives take on the characteristics of the things around us. We, we look more like we belong to those things. If I worked in a mine back in the day, my, I would become covered in soot and, and dirt, and I'd walk out and you go, that person's a miner. They, they belong to the miner community. They, they look like that community. The more we actively believe and trust Jesus in big and small ways, the more we belong to him, the more we look like him. Jesus offers comfort to us by inviting us uh, into the eternal community that he's creating. In verses 2 and 4, it says, My father's house has many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, that's a weird thing to say at the end. You know the, you know the way to the place I'm going. Now, we need to be careful here because this has often been thought to be an explanation of our eternal heavenly uh, destination. But I, I think Jesus is doing something a little, a little different here. And he's, again, he's teaching about who he is and what he's bringing about. First of all, nowhere in Scripture is heaven ever referred to as fa- Father's house or God's house. That's, and, and, and in the New Testament, Jesus is the only one who uses the phrase Father's house. The word for house in the Greek here is, actually refers more, not so much a, a destination or a structure, but a place of rest for the weary. A place of comfort or as the Danes say, Hygge, comfort and community. There's only one other place in John where Jesus refers to his father's house, and it's when he's throwing people out of the temple courts. In verse uh, 16 of chapter 2, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is in the temple at the age of 12, giving lessons to the religious teachers. And it says in Luke 2 chapter 49, to his parents have been looking for him. And he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So Jesus uh, twice refers to the temple as his father's house. The temple, if you were Jewish, is where heaven and earth met. It was the one point in all of creation where God's, uh, his, his divinity and the spiritual realm hit down concretely into human existence. No, no, everything's great. This is, this is good stuff. This is right out of my notes. <laughs> Help him, Jesus. I don't know where he's going. Something's gone wrong. Man, when a phone is telling me I've gone wrong, how bad, how bad of, is this my heresy? It must be really off. <laughs> so Jesus speaks of the temple as his father's house. And Jews, anytime they would hear that phrase uh, or, or would talk about the temple, they believe that is where Jesus stepped into our reality. It's where his presence was in the Old Testament. Father's house wasn't considered a place in heaven or, or another realm or reality. It was the place where heaven and earth connected. Now in John Chapter 1, verse 14, and many of you know this. In John chapter 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and he made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is literally tabernacle or temple. Jesus made a temple of himself among us, and we've seen his glory. Those are the words that you used to hear in the Old Testament. Shekinah glory, the presence of God, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John wrote that, he's saying, it's as if there's a new temple. Jesus stepping on into our dirt and into our lives, the divine, the infinite stepping into the finite is like a new presence of God. There's something new going on. So when it says dwelling among, among us, it means that God is, has put his foot on the earth. So what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying is the dwelling place of God is in him. That we find God in him. We find the proper community, the way he is purchasing people from all nations towards himself is found in Christ. Jesus is the very presence of God. It used to be the temple. Now it is Christ. And there is room. That's the best part. There's room for everybody. There's many dwelling places. 
But it's not about a building or our eternal destination. It is about who we belong to. Now, there's eternal benefits, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, you want to be with the Father? You want to be dwelling together with God the Father? There is one way that that happens. There is one person that that happens through. Believe in me so that you will belong to me, so that you will be with me. Being with Jesus, who is one with the Father, that's the goal. Because I'll tell you, heaven is not the prize. Heaven, salvation, uh, eternal life is no prize if Jesus is not there and the Father is not there. I don't want that one. In verse 5, we have the words that the the world is asking. How do we get from where we are to to the belonging that you're talking about, Jesus, in in verse 5 of chapter 14? Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can you, how can we know the way? And when Thomas says, how can we know the way? He's saying, how do we get there? This this dwelling place, this community, this huga. How do we, how do we get there? He He would not have spoken Danish, but how do we get there? How can we take the same path. And Jesus says, well, the path is through me. The path is through me. You want to get to that? It comes all in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No philosophy outside that does not involve me and my gospel will get you to truth and life. It is no no good path. No one comes to the Father except through me and only me. I am walking a path and accomplishing what you never can, but attach yourself. I'm going away. I will be out of your vision for a while. He's speaking metaphorically about his death, but I will come back. So attach yourself to me because where I'm going, you can't go, but I will come back and then bring you with me. I am going to purchase that community, that belonging to God, and I will come back for you. So stay close. Stay attached to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus will go on to say in the next chapter, which we'll we'll hear in a few weeks when he talks about being the vine. In in John 15, 4, he says, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What's he saying? He's saying that as as I'm attached to the Father, like roots into the ground, and he's he's feeding my very being. He's throughout me. I, I and the Father are one. You are the branches that I feed. And as you attach yourself to me as the branch, you, feed, you attach yourself to the Father. It's a beautiful metaphor. And the way that Jesus is going is the way of the cross. That is what brings you and I life. The preparation of a place for us in verse 2 is through his suffering. It's through taking on all the accumulated sin of humanity. It's by taking all the power of sin and death in his body and nailing it to the cross. All that, the, all that could deny us access to the Father's community. All that could deny us access to, to our relationship with God the Father, to belonging, was placed on the cross through Jesus' body making a way for us so that the broken and the wounded can approach and be in community with a holy, perfect God. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he, Jesus, has taken it away and he's nailed it to a cross. You owe nothing. If you are in Christ, you are clean. You are seen as righteous. You are seen as holy. And you belong in communion with the Father that Jesus purchased through the cross. Truth is through a cross and life is through a cross. 
In chapter 12, Jesus says something interesting too. In verse 32 and 33, he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, he's speaking of the cross, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All people must be drawn to Jesus. That's, that's the point. All people. There's no excuse. I don't need Jesus. No, it's only through Jesus that we come to the Father, that we come to the contentment and the, the dwelling and community with God the Father. Believe in me so that you belong to me, so that you will be with me. And here's the thing. And Jesus makes it clear, and we've said it several times. It is only through me. Je Jesus made it very clear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to know where heaven and earth meet, it is in me. Where eternity, that which is outside, reaches in and gives meaning and gives a point outside of you where you find meaning and therefore hope. But that meaning wants to pour into your life. I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. The church has proclaimed this since the beginning. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the early church proclaimed, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no, there's no exceptions there. It was the proclamation all throughout the early church. And throughout the book of Acts, the church is referred to as people of the way. What way? This way. Only this way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no under, other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Now today, in a multicultural country like Canada, many different backgrounds, that's a difficult one for people to take on. <laughs> and so the church has tried to be less convicted in our proclamation. <laughs> apologetic, even. Not giving an apology <laughs> in the old-fashioned way, but being apologetic. We're really sorry that we believe in the truth. We're really sorry that we've, we've attached ourselves to what we believe to be the truth, <laughs> the way, the truth, and the life. And some have walked away from the church, calling the church intolerant because it quotes Jesus' words. And to be clear, there is a problem with the church. There is a problem with the Christian who crosses their arms and stands firmly because they're so proud that they've, with their smugness, that oh, we've got the truth and, and you don't have the truth, as if we discovered the gospel ourselves, found Jesus, and told him to save us. No, no, no. Well, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were saved by grace and by grace alone. But we do the world and we do our neighbors and we do our families a disservice when we make Jesus sound like an option for our life rather than life itself. We do our own lives a disservice, not to mention empty it of meaning, when we, when we are unwilling to elevate him above all other gods and beliefs and paths and political affiliations and convictions. And maybe most importantly, for the one who, who purchased our pardon, for the one who delivered life to us, delivered away to us that we could never purchase ourselves. We do Jesus a disservice when we place him on the shelf with other religions and political stands and ideologies as if he's an option like any other. That will not work. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says this. It's a long one. He says, the trouble with that 
that idea of thinking is that it doesn't work. If you dethrone Jesus, you enthrone something else or someone else instead. The belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic, though the study of religions quickly shows that it isn't true. What you are really saying, if you claim that they're all the same, is that none of them are more than a distant, none of more than distant echoes, distorted images of reality. I think there's more there, no? Yeah. <laughs> You're saying that reality, God, the divine, is remote and unknowable, and that neither Jesus nor Buddha nor Moses nor Krishna gives us direct access to it. They all provide a way toward the foothills of the mountain, not the way to the summit. And although many of us like to think, many in our world like to think it's an elevated view of, uh, of the world and ideologies as we've, as we've progressed and we've just kind of put Jesus on the same level, it, that's not a new argument. It's the same argument people have been using for 2,000 years. You and I come with all our options and, and Jesus, without wavering, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Other Paths will promise and will not deliver. Other truths will be warped over time. You'll, you'll begin to scratch away. Other ways will promise life and bring destruction. I mean, what are, what are our options if we refuse Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Pursuing the way, the truth, and the life of power? Pursuing the, the, the truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life of wealth? The, 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 the way, the truth, and the life of romance? The, the way, the truth, and the life of creating our own identity, and if need be, handing out puberty blockers to teenagers? That's not life. It's a distortion of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Every other path will have its limits. It will have twisted versions of truth, and they do not lead to life as much as they promise liberation. As Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us, there's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Not Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And some say, how dare you make such a statement? How dare you make such a statement of one religious leader? That there's only one way. Well, it, it's simple. There's only one who's conquered death. There's only, there's only one God who has sought me out. There's only one who forgives and justifies and brings new and eternal life. There's only one way, one truth, one life. It's Jesus who came and lived and died and conquered sin and death. Why would we think any other path could possibly lead us to that point? to offer us what only Christ could purchase for us through the cross. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Jesus, we've been offered so many paths this week. <laughs> we've read about so many different paths, and it, and it has caused our hearts to shudder. We're worried about where the, the path of our culture is leading. We've, we've worried about slippery slopes. We've, we've wor worried about, about political environments. Rarely about our own country, but we love the soap opera to the south. And you, inv you would invite us to not allow our hearts to be troubled. But there have been so many versions of truth, 
conflicting as they are even with each other. There have been many promises of where we might find the good life and what that looks like. Jesus, you've made it clear that it is found in no one else. There is no way but your truth, but your life, but you and only you. Only you have the words of eternal life. And so forgive us for the paths that we've, that we've ran after this week. And I pray now through your spirit, you'd speak to us about the paths that we, we, we'd planned on walking this next week. The truths that we were going to spend our time on and our thought life on this week that we thought would bring us some truth, would, would bring us life. When ultimately they're, they're pulling us farther from the ultimate truth. Jesus, you have a, you've illuminated our, our lives when you called us to yourself. The, the beautiful gospel that gives us this wonderful story that you've invited us into. Let us not trade that for any smaller stories that do not lead to life. It is such a loud world. We're being called in so many directions. And so it's my prayer now for each person here that your spirit would fill us. And as you would do to, to the early church, you would, you would fill us with your spirit to give us boldness and give us courage to walk in the way that you've called us to, to walk in the truth that you've called us to, to walk in the life that you've called us to. And we thank you and we celebrate and we, we praise you for going down a path that we could never walk down ourselves, to carry a burden that we could never carry ourselves, to purchase a life and a future and an eternity and a relationship with God the Father that we could never purchase ourselves. We thank you for taking on flesh and walking among us so that by your wounds we might be healed. We thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And we look forward, even now as, as, we, as we worship, we look forward to the day you will return. Just as you promised. May we live faithful lives until the day of your return. Maranatha, Jesus, quickly come. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.